SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for the Group of Five and the FCS. Jill Londrigan and Eric Henry here with you, as always, uh, on a snowy day in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm recording from. And I imagine not uh, <laughs> not the exact same in beautiful Tampa, Florida, where, where you are. And Eric, you're spared most of the uh, travel nightmares that most of us in the uh, northern part of the country are dealing with right now. Yeah, Joe, I got to admit, first off, happy holidays to all to yourself and to all our listeners out there. Hope the holidays are treating you guys well. It, it is uncharacteristically chilly. And I, I want to carefully say that because I know places throughout our listenership are probably dealing with much worse temperature than we are right now. But I feel for you guys because the fact that we're facing temperatures that are going to be in the thirties and even the, the high twenties coming up in the next few days kind of tells me just what it's like throughout the rest of the country. So it, it is definitely something that uh, I hope everyone is staying warm. It, it's, it seems to be, I mean, you know, you talked about your own travel plans off air and the fact that it was kind of a nightmare for you to get to good old Louisville, Kentucky, but yeah, just hope everyone, you know, you're making it to where you need to be for the holidays. Hope you're staying safe, staying warm and uh, appreciate you. Um, inviting us into your household or your car, wherever it is you enjoy this podcast. <laughs> it's very nice in your home here. You have wonderful belongings. I'm going to take some of them on my way out. <laughs> going to be a regular wet bandit. Joe, what is your go-to thing? Like if you're if you're leaving a uh, a Christmas a holiday, <laughs> what's my go-to party? thing to yeah, steal? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, so <laughs> I, I may have just outed you if you had one. But what's that? What's that thing? Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I might snag this. For me, it's it's some sort of food. It's some sort of food, like food or booze. I mean, the, and I and I can't say the, that I have before. <laughs> what are, what are you actually asking? What what's the thing I have to take with me from a holiday party? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the thing that you know you're? you're oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> family photos because it's the one thing you can't replace. No, um, <laughs> just like leftover food for sure. You know, if I can if I can take you know if if I can don't have to go to the grocery store after coming to your holiday party that that's how you know you threw a good holiday party is how many uh people you're stocking up with leftovers on their way out i don't really vibe with the tgc's too much anymore but <laughs> before we get too sidetracked i will tell this story in a very brief manner uh college a couple friends of mine and i was a holiday party got invited party was a little whack so we uh we left but uh mm-hmm. unbeknownst to me uh my two homeboys they, they took a bottle of liquor and uh an entire box of pizza so then i got a text from the girl who invited me it was like uh i think your friends took our pizza and and, and, and alcohol i was like they did and i turn i look at them and i was like oh crap they did that's a very college thing when yeah you throw a house party and people just assume because something's in your house it's part of the community chest <laughs> <laughs> exactly anyhow before we get too <laughs> sidetracked uh, we'll 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 get back to the uh the bowl games and, and recruiting and whatnot yeah let's start with the uh, bahamas bowl another part of the world that was uh, gorgeous and can't imagine there were too many uh, hiccups as far as travel down there. We'd have to ask Emily Van Buskirk about that. But in uh, Bryant Vincent's final game as the interim head coach of the Blazers, they win against Miami of Ohio 24 to 20. Great defensive battle thanks to a uh, and, and just a fantastic game all around. And the Blazers win it with a defensive stand on the last drive of the game, keeping the Red Hawks out of the end zone there on what could have been a real disastrous moment um but you know really nice uh performance by dylan hopkins as he comes back from injury as well 16 to 24 for 204 yards and a touchdown and an interception through the air um also ran around a little bit didn't get too many yards but in the absence of Dwayne mcbride jermaine brown jr able to show what he can do as the feature back for this program 24 carries 100 116 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, loved what we saw from him. And uh, good news for uh, the Blazers. If they carry on with him, then it uh, seems like they'll be in good hands continuing forward under Trent Dilfer. And then, of course, we saw Trey Shropshire do what he does, uh, get in great position for those play-action catches downfield. Six catches for 183 yards and a touchdown. You know, I, I think based on what we saw in this game, 
clearly they were playing with a lot of passion. Didn't exactly play mistake free football. They did have three turnovers on the day, so that's uh, that's tough to to see for uh, you know a UAB team that makes a lot of mistakes usually. So you would have thought they'd have that cleaned up a little bit, but they do enough to finish the season seven and six and uh, send Miami of Ohio home six and seven on the year. Joe, really nice start to bowl season with that ball game. You know, it kind of was reminiscent. I heard the announcers, I believe it was Steve Levy on the call. I, I could be wrong. I know it typically is Steve Levy uh, each year, but um, the game that was reminiscent of the Super Bowl from what, 2000, if my memory serves me correct. I only know that offhand because my beloved Bucks lost in the NFC Championship game to the St. Louis Rams, but that, you know, infamous Super Bowl that Kevin Dyson came a yard short. Uh, the ending of this ball game was kind of reminiscent there, but as you as you talked about for UAB, the big takeaway for me was Jermaine Brown Jr. He's a player who you hope for your Blazer fan he does not enter the portal because seemingly that's kind of been the trend of players as of late. You know, kind of getting that that late season success and they find themselves elsewhere. But as you talked about, really toting the load for. Dwayne McBride, who has made it official that he will enter the NFL draft, really love to see him, you know, be the feature back, the passion that he he played with. And you saw that final run there that put UAB ahead. He had the game winning score. You talk about Trey Shropshire doing the things that he does. I, I sent out a tweet from the UDD account that uh, said that really going to miss the Brian Vincent offense, you know, in which he, he, Trey Shropshire or those UAB receivers have. Uh, three catches, four catches for a buck 50 and, and a couple scores, you know, the, the downfield passing them kind of become accustomed to with UAB over the years. And really nice to see Brian Vincent go out a winner. Joe uh, won't belabor this game too much because, you know, it's been a while, but did want to ask your thoughts on this, a just kind of your feelings and, 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 you know, thoughts on Brian Vincent going out a winner there at UAB. And, and was it awkward at all to see Trent Dilfer there on the sidelines? I, I know for me, listen, Trent Dilfer is not the first incoming coach to watch his team's final ball game or bowl game from the sideline. I, I distinctly remember Willie Taggart when he took over FAU was on the sidelines, the final game there before he took over a couple of years back. So, I mean, we've seen this happen mm -hmm. before, but I don't know. I, I think the reason why this one struck me a little bit different, Joe, is because we know about the letter of support that was written by the players to UAB president Ray Watts. So it just seemed to me, I'm not critiquing Trent Dilfer. I, I just give him my opinion, given the circumstances around this situation in which the players really wanted Brian Vincent there. It did seem a little bit like, Hey, you know, kind of let them have their moment. Let Brian Vincent have his final moment. But with that being said, the broadcast talked about it, Joe, Brian Vincent, vacating his office i believe it was something like six or seven days early so trent dilfer could get set up there and and, and you know kind of take over uab so clearly no bad blood there at all but th that part just kind of rung it, it, it struck me the wrong way just because of the circumstances you know if 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 it were known that the interim coach was not gonna well, wasn't really someone who was gonna be a factor at all it's one thing but given the fact that the players really wanted this it it, it kind of struck me but just want to throw that at you really quick and get your thoughts yeah it's odd i mean first of all i do want to you know um, second, what you said about Brian Vincent, I think he's handled what has been an incredibly odd situation as far as the coaching uh, change and turnover there at, at UAB, um, considering um, the way that his players have supported him with a, a ton of class. And I think he's handled the whole year with uh, an excellent amount of that. Um, and he'll be fine, by the way. Certainly, it looks like New Mexico is already reaching out to him about being their new offensive coordinator. Not a done deal, but that's uh, per a football scoop report. That's uh, that looks like that may or may not be in his future. And if it's not there, I imagine some other program will uh, get his services rather quickly here before we get too deep into spring ball. But to answer your question about you know Trent Dilfer and and the way that he handled this bowl game. I didn't I don't love it, but I certainly understand it. When you have a situation like that where the players are clearly um behind Brian Vincent and the job he's done and they wanted him to remain the permanent head coach so bad, I think if you're Trent Dilfer, you have to look at that situation and realize if you don't start winning over that locker room immediately, then you're gonna continue to lose your best players to, you know, the draft or to the transfer portal or whatever. He's I think he made kind of a smart play in realizing this program is where it is because of the talent they've developed. And if he wants to keep any of that, he needs to get on their good side immediately. I don't know if that necessarily played out, but I think it's a better play in terms of building those relationships than maybe standing up in the box 
rocks and, you know, just staring down at them, if that makes sense. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm really glad you touched on that, that uh, initial point, because that's something that I think is key as well. He has to start winning over that locker room. That's not to say that he can't do that given the decision to watch a game from the sidelines, but you do know that it is going to take some work to win over a locker room that clearly won a Brian Vincent as their head coach. So um, all, all good points made on your part. You know, I think a lot of people can look at that and say like, oh, he comes from TV. He just wanted to be on, you know, in front of a camera and give the, the little speech he did about America or whatever. That uh, that was kind of odd. But I also see where he was coming from in terms of it you know, trying to build the relationships with players because like him or not, that's a big part of why he's gotten to where he is so far as a coach is his ability to build relationships with players. All right, let's talk about the cure bowl. Eric, you were on hand for this one. Troy win a defensive battle 18 to 12 against UTSA in Orlando there. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because we talked about how one of the things that uh, these UTSA seniors haven't done in their time as roadrunners is win a bowl game and they're still going to have to wait a a little bit to uh, accomplish that goal. So they finished the season 11 and three and uh, John Sumrall's incredible time so far as the Troy head coach continues as they finished 12 and two on the year. Um, I would be surprised if they didn't end up, you know, a couple spots ahead of where they are currently at the 24 spot in the C- final CFP rankings once the season finishes. But um, yeah, I, I think in this one, not the best day we've ever seen from Frank Harris, 23 of 42, uh, one touchdown through the air and two interceptions. Also uh, ran for just 12 yards on eight carries. Uh, Kavorian Barnes, 22 carries for 138 yards. Um, you know, just one too many offensive mistakes, especially in the second half for UTSA. We we saw him get it going just a little bit in the first half. Zachary Franklin had that great touchdown catch, but really that was about it when it comes to offensive highlights for UTSA in this game. Joe cannot say how much, cannot understate how much, or excuse me, cannot overstate how much I was impressed by John, John Summerall and his club because this was a game that it was the classic matchup of uh, a great defense. We know Troy came into the into this game with a defense that was top ten in the nation and fewest points allowed per game against a great offense, UTSA, top. 10, I believe they were seventh or sixth in the nation in points per game. In Conference USA, they topped CUSA in points per game. And that defense did a number on Frank Harris. Joe, I know you had a chance to check out this ball game, and mm-hmm. Frank never got comfortable. Now, granted, he did get banged up in the game, and I'm sure that played a factor as well. But it the thing that struck me the most before I kind of go deep into the analysis, I just want to bounce this off you. Yeah. For uh, UTSA, while they score a lot of points, you don't think of them as a finesse team. You know what I mean? Like, you don't think of Jeff Trailer's team as lacking physicality. But in my mind, and this was the angle mm-hmm. I took in in the, the game recap, is they out-physicaled UTSA. Did it seem that way to you on TV? Yeah, it did. And, you know, I think it was – it's more of like a – that's just kind of the style of football that I've personally seen Troy play quite a bit this year. I've watched quite a bit. Of, uh, of their game film and writing the Sunbelt column that I, I did uh, during the regular season for UDD. But that front seven for Troy plays with a ton of energy and they <laughs> genuinely like they're obviously like everybody in football loves contact, loves to hit. These guys really seem to like find joy in that part of the game, obviously. So I think that's more of like a statement on how good Troy's defense and the way that they play but like, yeah, it seemed like in the early going, uh, UTSA tried to kind of work the middle of the field a little bit with getting Gavorian Barnes going. And, you know, and then once that clearly wasn't working, they tried to go outside the numbers the way that they, you know, have always kind of had the ability to do with Zachary Franklin, Joshua Cephas, et cetera. Um, and then once they kind of figured out that, that was, you know, more or less what Troy was expecting them to do by that point. At that point, that's where you usually go to like, all right, well, Frank Harris make a play, win the game. But as you said, he was kind of hurt. So that their third option was kind of taken away in that regard. So it was more like Troy just like taking away all of UTSA's offensive options more than it was like UTSA not necessarily being as physical as they needed to be. Yeah, yeah. And again, by by no means am I saying that UTSA is not a physical team and didn't play physical. It just seemed in terms of... Right, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In terms of style of play, 
UTSA was forced to play Troy's style of ball game because there's no way that Gunnar Watson, no disrespect to that offense, they weren't going to be able to keep up with UTSA style of play, looking to, you know, sling it down the field and make plays, right? Uh, despite the fact that they, you know, have a great receiver, or I should say at this point had a great receiver in Tesh Johnson because he has entered the portal. It, it, they weren't going to be able to keep up with that style of play. So you look at the numbers for Troy, the amount of turnovers, five turnovers, Carlton Marshall, of course, doing what he does with 14 tackles. Uh, Richard Gibbiner had a heck uh, of a game. I mean, even you look at the stat line, only the two tackles, but uh, a big play in terms of getting the, the strip sack and fumble recovery of Frank Harris. One of the big plays in my mind was KJ Robertson. I mean, again, just to show that Frank Harris was kind of off his game a bit. KJ Robertson stepped right in front of a Frank Harris pass that just seemed as, as if Frank didn't see, you know, Robertson and took it back 61 yards. That set up a, a crucial score for the Trojans. There was that that play, Joe, a little bit kind of fluky. Um, I believe it was Clifford Chapman who picked off the pass, took and it didn't look to us in the in the stadium. I'm curious how it looked, um, you know, to people on uh, uh, Washington at home. It didn't look as if he got a full two steps in, but he picked off the pass. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline kind of takes one step and then is is hit and is ruled a fumble. Troy recovers it in their territory, deep into in, into into UTSA territory, and is able to convert there and get points there. So that was a key play as well. But again, the fact that Troy is able to force those turnovers and really force UTSA to play their style of game is really what did it for him. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about Troy, but I want to see what John Sumrall is able to do to kind of retain some of the players that are considering, you know, taking a dip into the portal. Obviously they have time to kind of make that decision. But one of the key things that he did when he came in was convince some of the guys that were senior leaders on that team this year to stay when they had options to go to the portal or the NFL or whatever. So if he can kind of repeat whatever it was he did last time in terms of building on those relationships and kind of running it back as they head into, you know, another year in the Sun Belt, that would certainly be interesting. He's a rising star in the coaching world for sure. No, most um, definitely. But most yeah, definitely. I think you, yeah, with UTSA, like if they can, uh, we, we already know Frank Harris is coming back. They're going to have some of the younger guys that uh, were big parts of this year's operation, Gavorian Barnes and family. You know, I think they're going to make uh, make a good play in the AAC next year. Obviously, that league's going to look quite a bit different, but, but um, not how they won to end the year for sure. As uh, Jeff Tra- put it i believe it's always a great day to be a utsa roadrunner but that day was not one of the ones he wants to remember for a long time <laughs> all right let's talk lending tree bowl rice loses to southern miss 38 to 24 um it, this was one of the best performances in the history of fbs bowl games by frank gore jr for southern miss um just fantastic a because 329 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, uh, most single-game rushing yards by any player in the 2022 season. Um, it's a Southern Miss school record. And, of course, Gore became the standalone record holder for most rushing yards in bowl history. And then, of course, we got the incredible meme-worthy moment of Auntie Chill. That was <laughs> that might have been the crowning achievement of that game. Um, but we knew that Southern Miss was going to capitalize on the athleticism that they have all around that team. And, you know, Rice just really did not have enough to keep up in this game. So they finished the year five and eight. And we'll see what they're able to do next year under Mike Bloomgren. But they're going to have a former USC and West Virginia quarterback, JT Daniels, next year. So we know they needed help in the quarterback room. They certainly got it after the game. But, Eric, what do you make of Rice ending the season on a down note here? Joe, I, I I will I'll address that, but just really quick on Frank Gore because you can't not talk about that performance. First off, yes, these three years, and of course we had a chance to see him in CUSA for two years, have really flown by. I didn't even realize until I, I looked up again. I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute, he's a junior," which means Frank Gore mm-hmm. Jr. probably has played his last game at Southern Miss in my mind. Uh, to go out the way, 
yeah, if 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 this uh, indeed is his last game to go out the way he did, just impressive. Joe, really quick, doesn't I mean we say this a lot about how much he reminds you of his dad, but mm-hmm. you think about the career Frank Gore Senior had, it's easy to forget that he was a third round pick. Frank Gore Senior was not you know like a top five, top ten pick, and I think mm-hmm. Frank Gore Junior. Just in that sense, you know, you hear about all the great running backs, right? The Bijan Robinsons and guys like that. Frank Gore Jr. doesn't come up in that category. I'm sure a byproduct of that is the fact that he plays it played in CUSA now the Sun Belt. But mm-hmm. I, I just I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. I just think he's destined for that type of uh, I'm not saying Hall of Fame, but he, he's that destined for that type of career, which is a guy who is just a consistent runner, probably won't get drafted high. Will probably, you know, if he tests well, will be a third or fourth round pick, but just reminds me so much of his dad in that regard. So just wanted to state that first and foremost for uh, talking about Rice. In terms of the Owls, and you asked me the question, you know, is it a disappointing end to the year? Huh. I pause because the record is 5-8. and eight. At the end of the day, 5-8 and eight isn't a great record. We know the circumstances around Rice making this bowl game, being a, a five-win team, but the APR is what got them in, and, you know, Rice is a great academic school. There's, there's no shock there. But yes, in my mind, it is a bit of a disappointment because they they lost, what, was it four out of their last six? I'm spitballing here. I can't remember if it's four. Yeah, it's, no, five out of their last seven they lost, right? So this team had put themselves in, in good position with, you know, being three and three and three, if my memory, if, if that, yeah, three and three down the stretch. But they had the tough loss to FAU. They get smoked by a Charlotte team that that was the first game after Will Healy's firing. And then just really down the stretch against Western UTSA, kind of late neg. Of course, part of that was the injuries at quarterback. So you got to hope. And I know I've been someone who's been very vocal about Rice's inability to get a quarterback that JT Daniels can solve that, you know, that riddle there for Rice because they've been snake bitten by injuries at the QB position for the better part of Mike Bloomgren's tenure. But yeah, no, it definitely should be interesting. Oh, quick shout out to Matt Bartlett. Who, who was ribbing us on both of us trying to pronounce the the quarterback uh, uh, for Rice. Of course, I don't have my pronunciation guide up on me, so uh, so I'm not going to try to say it again. But Matt was ribbing us about uh, trying to pronounce uh, his name. But nevertheless, yeah, I, I do think it's a bit of a disappointing end to the year because five and eight, there's no way you can cut it. Yeah, you make a bowl game, but five and eight is not a, uh, a great record, and especially for a Rice team that prides himself on being physical and playing great defense, that kind of yards to Frank Gore. That's tough. So we'll see where it takes them to the offseason. But all in all, I mean, I, I, as much as I'd like to keep the focus on the CUSA team, there's not much I can really say about their performance and, and you know, kind of where they stand, except we'll see if, you know, maybe the their quarterback riddle is solved heading into 2023. It's a tough riddle. It's a tough riddle for sure. But hopefully a guy who has experience playing in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 is uh, a step in the right direction for a Rice program that's AAC bound next year. We will see. Um, now let's talk about the Frisco Bowl. And tough loss to swallow if you're a North Texas fan in this one. 35-32 to 32 was the final score in favor of Taylor Green and Boise State. North Texas had a chance to win it late. They go three and out. Didn't have enough. Um, you know, we thought we were going to see a big day from Taylor Green, and we did. Um, guy can, can run all over the field can do a lot of good things. I think that program is uh, going to be one to watch in the next couple of years as he continues to develop. But for a North Texas team that was led by interim head coach Phil Bennett here, definitely disappointing to see. Um, that defense just did not do what they needed to at critical points throughout the game. And while you know you can say Austin Ani didn't, didn't come up when he needed to on the last drive of the game, you know, overall, you can't really compare him to what Taylor Green did because it's kind of apples and oranges in terms of skill set. But he did some good things, didn't do all the right things. But, uh, you know, th- this was honestly, I think this was just a matter of like Boise State had more talent. And be- and even that being true, North Texas fought hard, but just couldn't execute when they needed to in critical moments. Yeah, I mean, Joe, I, I don't think there's anything controversial about saying the fact that Boise is the better team here. North Texas, we've seen the kind of season they've had. It's been up and down. You know, we saw the way the season end with Phil Bennett taking over. Obviously, it, 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 it's tough because I think if you take a look at North Texas against premier competition this year, 
it's been a bit dicey, right? You know, the loss to, to, to SMU, the loss to Memphis, the loss to UTSA twice, the loss to UAB. Really, the I guess the most, you know, like stomach churning uh, loss is probably the one to UNLV, right? Because that's the only one I think you look on paper. You can't say that UNLV is necessarily a more talented team. Let's take a look at the wins. UTEP, Texas Southern, FAU, wherever you want to qualify that as a win, I don't know. I think it's a solid win. Probably their best win of the year is against Western Kentucky, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, definitely a disappointing end to the year, but it's really been on par for what this team has been all year. And, again, no no shame in losing to a Boise team that's one of the, the tops in G5 football. I think their issues, I mean, you take a look, it's kind of been quarterback over the past few years. But, no, nah, you can't put this one on Asanani despite the turnovers. I, I just think all in all – they were a Boise State being they was a better team. I guess the only thing you might have wanted to see was a bit more of a, a better defensive performance, given the fact that we've talked about North Texas's kind of progression, first defensive struggles of the past few years and kind of progression to a better defensive team. Might have wanted to see a better performance, especially against the run, and then maybe taking a look there in their own running game. Obviously, that's their bread and butter, but not too much of a shock here for me. Eric, what do you think of Stone Earl and the role that uh, he could potentially play on this team in the coming years? In this game, we saw him, and really in, in all of his appearances this year, we saw him play kind of that wildcat role for North Texas. He's definitely a uh, kind of a rushing specialist, or at least he was this year. He had two rushes for 20 yards in this game and uh, did complete two passes, one of which was a touchdown in this game, kind of caught the defense off guard on uh, that one with a little jump pass. But I like that kid. I like what I've seen from him. I don't know what his uh, – we haven't seen him throw the ball enough for me to really kind of have an understanding of what his uh, his skills look like there. But he's very athletic. I, I want to see what uh, uh, what Eric Morris's plans are for him in whatever system they end up running in 2023. Joe, that's interesting. Remember, Stone Earl was at Abilene Christian – or Abilene Christian, I think, is the correct pronunciation. And he was a starter in 20. 20- 21 should be from memory serves me correct and wasn't bad i remember you know taking a look at his numbers when he got to unt want to say he had something like 1300 yards had a pretty solid td to int ratio but i don't know that he fits what eric morris is looking to do of course you know that's a bit more of not necessarily a pocket passer but you need to be a little bit more of, of a pronounced passer i think stone earl's an adequate passer but definitely someone who can use his legs more so than you know kind of that I, I guess in my mind, it's a little bit more of that SMU style of, of quarterback. So how about this? Let me just throw throw something completely random out at you. And, and I, I try not to do this, but I'm sorry. It just kind of hit me here. Hit me. If Davis Brin were playing quarterback for this team this year, you think they're better than 7-7? Seven and seven? If Davis Brin were their quarterback this year? Um, I, you know, that is a tough one because they run the ball so much. Like, I don't know that they really would have changed their – offensive game plan too much i think you there's probably a few less interceptions but i don't know how much of a difference that actually makes when you look at those losses that you mentioned earlier there no that's that's a very good point i mean the fact that they are a run-based team you don't know how much of a difference it makes but i don't know that's just the when you mentioned eric morris the first name that came to mind as someone who might be able to fit that is is davis Brown. so Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, um, that's just kind of my thoughts. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially as you know they head to the American because the competition is going to get tougher. Um, Davis Brin, of course, is a Texas native, so uh, a Texas native, so uh, that plays a factor as well. But yeah, the competition is going to get tougher, so it, it, it's going to be more or less this type of competition for UNT going forward. So they'll have to step it up as they head to the American. Speaking of teams that are changing conferences, Liberty, of course, going to be uh, probably a big part of the CUSA conversation next year as they move into the league. They played in the Boca Bowl against Toledo uh, last week, and they ended up losing that one to the Rockets 21-19. to Eric, you and Kevin Fielder were on hand for that one. What would you think of the showing from the Flames there? That was a very unique game, and it's one that I think you and I talked about off here a little bit. Liberty had definitely been hamstrung by entrance of the transfer portal. I mean, that, that just was the fact of the matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you take a look at, you know, some of their players. Now, Grant, some of their uh, – the majority of their defensive players were still there, guys like Darrell Johnson and um, Treshawn Clark, guys who I'd seen, quite frankly, for the past few years uh, covering uh, a few Liberty games. But – yeah, in in my mind, the thing that really cost Liberty was 
just the amount of entries they had to the portal. You take a look at uh, uh, Caden um, Salter uh, was the quarterback for Liberty, not their usual starter. That played a factor as well. I think the big thing that that really hurt them was inability to, and, and you can say this about any team, inability to close out drives. They really left Toledo in the ball game because Toledo had a couple of opportunities. I want to say four or five in the first half, Joe, that they made it inside the Liberty 40 but had to settle for three. Also another thing that played a factor in this game was the weather, Joe. It was a steady downpour for the majority of the game. Um, mm-hmm. So that's only played a factor in what, you know, Liberty's able to do offensively in terms of getting the ball into, you know, the, the, the hands of their playmakers. I think um, I'm forgetting the kid who threw the touchdown pass, but um, Hanshaw, he caught a TD pass from who was it? Uh, scroll my notes here. CJ Daniels. That that was a trick play, Joe. I mean, it, it was a wide receiver pass, and that was the longest pass play of the game for any team, 67 yards. So they, that 67-yard completion pretty much almost hit what Caden Salter had uh, in terms of passing yards for the game because he went 12 of 20 for 84 yards. So, you know, not necessarily the, the most fair thing to judge Liberty based on that performance. Of course, we know the situation of Jamie Chadwell coming in to take over. So that certainly played a factor as well. But give credit to Toledo. I mean, they, again, a, a team that plays a different style of ball and they're in the MAC. Um, Jaquez Stewart, 23 carries for 111 yards. Uh, Daquan Finn, got to give him credit. I, I want to say he had at least 20 carries in that game in the first half. He took a couple shots, actually got banged up for a little bit, had to miss a series, but was really a steady factor, Joe. I mean, there was a series, I want to say it was in the second quarter or the third quarter, where it, it, the, the rain was coming down and the, Daquan Finn just said, all right, forget it. I'm going to take, you know, four or five straight carries and get my team into scoring position. So uh, all in all, you know, I think it's a solid win for for Toledo, for Liberty. The the big thing in my mind that affected them was just the entries, the entries into the transfer portal and that weather. They weren't really to, able to develop a steady offensive showing for the bulk of that game. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit surprising that Liberty weren't necessarily ready for that kind of weather. But on the other hand, like it rains and snows and hails and sleets and anything else you could imagine in Toledo, Ohio, pretty constantly. So I got to imagine playing in the Mac and playing through that weather on a regular basis helped with preparation for those guys. And we're not a Mac podcast, so we don't talk about it often, but obviously Daquan Finn, one of the, uh, underappreciated guys in the G5 this year. He's extremely athletic and really talented. He, he was fun to watch on their run to a Mac championship this year. No, but most definitely. I mean, I, I like the like the um, the meme says. Uh, I, I apologize. I was not familiar with your game because I was not familiar with the quad fins game. But <laughs> definitely impressed me there on uh, on that night. You know, people know now for sure. Keep an eye on him in the Glass City and the rest of what Toledo's building there. They have a uh, a good coach on their hands in Jason Candle and uh, some really talented guys as they. Uh, probably go for a repeat in the Mac next year, but we'll see. Mac is uh continues to be unpredictable and it's going to continue to be so in the transfer portal era. So all right, New Orleans Bowl, let's do it. Uh Western Kentucky, they came out swinging in a game against Kane Womack and the South Alabama Jaguars. They ended up winning that one 44 to 23 there in the Caesar Superdome. I almost called it the Mercedes-Benz Superdome because uh, I just got used to having to put that sponsor in front of it. But uh, Austin Reed, 36 of 55 for four touchdowns and an interception as he comes out of the transfer portal a few days before. And, you know, I know you're going to disagree with me, Eric, but when he throws over 50 times a game, that usually is a good sign. It means he's loose. It means he's comfortable. And uh, also Dalvin Smith, the wide receiver, threw a touchdown in this one as well on a trick play. That was uh, something that caught the USA defense off guard. And, you know, certainly I think Kane Womack mentioned it in his postgame presser, but they did not come out ready to play in this game. And ultimately it cost them when Western Kentucky comes out ready to play and we know Tyson Helton is an aggressive play caller. They are going to try to make you uncomfortable and build a lead early. That's exactly what they did here. Um, really, just everybody on the offense of this team just ate throughout the game. Malachi Corley, 11 catches, 
for 114 yards and two touchdowns. Dalvin Smith, six catches for 145 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Hall, nine catches for 138 yards and a touchdown. Three different guys had over 100 yards in this game, 522 yards total receiving. And, um, you know, Jack, uh, Jaquez Evans, the uh, linebacker who was a huge piece of that defense all year. He was in the transfer portal briefly too, but he came out uh, three days prior to this game, six tackles for him here, including a sack and two and a half tackles for loss and a pass breakup. So Western Kentucky, I know rightfully so we, we've talked a lot about Liberty being the front runner in CUSA next year, but with the amount of pieces that Western Kentucky has coming back. And now that we know pretty much their entire coaching staff is intact after some talk about uh, Tyson Helton potentially going to the power five, they could be a threat too for the new CUSA in terms of winning that title. Joe, I'm surprised you think I'm going to disagree with you on the Austin Reed take. Um, I, I think we've talked about this off air. I'm not sure much we've talked about it on air, but there's been a, a little bit of a smattering of the Western Kentucky fan base that I've seen on Twitter say, hey, you know, Austin Reed isn't as good as he thinks he is. Um, I, I think that's a little bit unfair. I think that's recency bias. You're comparing Austin Reed's game to uh, he had the, uh, the unenviable task, as I tweeted out, of trying to replace Bailey Zappi. And that in itself is going to make any kind of season he has, unless he can duplicate that season, kind of pale in comparison. And I think that was kind of the case here with Austin Reed in terms of appreciating what he did this year. I think Austin Reed's a gunslinger. I think he's a really, really good quarterback. And I think it's a great thing for the Hilltopper fan base and for the Hilltopper program that he's going to be back next year. I think he's going to, quite frankly, I think he's very capable of of replicating that Bailey Zappi type year in his second year on the system. So no, uh, not an issue with him throwing the ball 55 times. I, the thing with Western Kentucky that they've really won me over, and of course, our own Kevin Fielder's done a great job talking with Tyson Helton and others about uh, you know the way that Western Kentucky plays offense, is they still find a way to get enough rushing production. You know, it's not like they're throwing for 500 yards and running for 40. In this ball game, they ran for a buck 55, and that's still with throwing the ball 56 times. So no. No issue there. I think the thing that surprised me for USA is, I listen, I like Carter Bradley as a player, you know, the former Toledo quarterback, but it, it, it's yeah, Carter Bradley. I think he's thrown for about 3,000 yards this year, but it's not in their best interest for them to try to keep up in, in that type of, you know, shootout. Now, granted, they fell behind super early, which is why they had to throw the ball to get back in the game. But that was the big surprise for me more than Austin Reed's performance. So definitely good for the Hilltoppers that he's coming back. Uh, definitely interested to see. As we've talked about here with the transfer portal, I knew Joey Belgian had announced that he was entering the portal. Not sure what his status is currently. Uh, you can be in the portal and still you know, be a member of your team. So uh, we'll have to see what, what, what that is there. But yeah, uh, I'd be interested to see how many players can Western Kentucky, can Tyson Helton keep out of the portal? And more importantly, for the players that they will inevitably end up losing. I believe, yeah, Josh Simon as well, Joe. Um, entered the port. My memory serves me correct. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah, because I remember tweeting that out. So both their tight ends entered the portal and played in this ball game. A, can they bring those guys back? B, if those guys do leave, who are they going to be able to replace them with? So that's what I'll be keeping my eye on. But to the last point that you made, Joe, or actually before I get to that point, just kudos to Tyson Helton on allowing those kids to play. The fact that they entered the portal, and he still didn't hold that against them. I think that's just so telling of, of Tyson Helton's, you know, kind of his, I don't want to say his character, but his his very progressive approach to the portal. And of course, I wrote a piece on, on you know, his portal philosophy. So just wanted to note that. It just kind of hit me there, you know, before I wanted to make that last point. But to what you were saying about people coming in and people considering liberty to come into this conference and kind of be the, you know, cream of the crop. I think a lot of that, in my mind is rooted in Liberty's facilities and what they will be going forward. I, I, I maybe some people did think that all right, Liberty is going to walk in and win the conference, you know, year one. But I guess I interpreted that kind of sentiment as they have the facilities and the infrastructure to come in and run this conference more, more so than they're going to come in and win it year one. So uh, definitely Western Kentucky with Austin Reed coming back and who they can bring back next year, they're going to be a factor in Conference USA. Yeah, on your point about Tyson Helton, I think it shows that he it further shows that he has his player's best interest at heart. Think about it. Like if you are someone who your main goal is to get to the NFL, especially as an offensive player, why would you 
want to, why would you want to play for a coach that's going to hold that kind of thing against you? Um, and frankly, at a position like quarterback or tight end, at a position where um, not just Tyson Helton, but Western Kentucky football has kind of developed a reputation for sending guys to the league with, you know, Tyler Higby, Jack Doyle. There's, you know, there's a bunch of other guys at that position um, that have gone on to play in the pros. Like, you know, those offensive systems are going to help you showcase your talents as a tight end. So I want them to keep Joey Belgian. I want them to keep Joshua Simon. I think they've shown that they're really solid. But ultimately, I think this system is going to attract the right kind of talent, whether or not they stay. So, I, again, kudos to Tyson Hilton on what he's continuing to build there. <coughs> At recording this with me every week must sound like I'm just constantly dying, like the way I have to like cough and like just suck fluid back in through my nose every, <laughs> every between every segment. The, the answer to that is what? Yes, it's exactly what it's also. <laughs> It's funny. Uh, Sam asked me, like, between you and Eric, who's Batman, who's Robin? I said, Eric is Batman and I'm Alfred. I'm not well <laughs> enough to go out there and actually do anything. <laughs> that's 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 well played. That's well played. <laughs> All right. Let's dive into Hawaii Bowl preview. We got San Diego State and Middle Tennessee on Christmas Eve. So snuggle up by the fire and uh, be jealous of all the people that are there in Honolulu taking this one in. Uh, San Diego State favored by six and a half here. 8 p.m. East Coast time is the kickoff. 3 p.m. Hawaii time. Um, Aztec program mourning the loss of one of the great running backs in their history. And Eric, they've had a ton. Uh, Ronnie Hillman passed away at the young age of 31, former Denver Broncos guy, uh, after a battle with cancer. So sending positive thoughts to everybody that knew him and everybody within the Aztec program there. G5 legend for sure. Um, some stuff to keep in mind about San Diego State in this matchup. They've got a quarterback that's a converted safety. He actually played safety for the first like four games of this year, and then Brady Hoke moved him back to the offensive side of the ball. Um, not the greatest passer, but he's a really solid 6'3", 220-pound athlete. So I expect we'll see him moving around quite a bit, maybe rushing the ball in addition to you know handing it off to the running back. Um, and on defense, they defend the run really well which isn't great for MTSU. So I expect they're going to need Chase Cunningham and the rest of that passing game to have another big day. I know we've talked a lot about balance being an important part of any Rick Stockstill MTSU win. Um, and also for San Diego State, they're great on special teams. Jack Browning has NFL potential as both a kicker and a punter in this game. Listen, I feel cautiously optimistic picking MTSU to win this one, but they haven't played a game in a month. And they're a long way from home where they've won two of their last three. So, again, we need Chase Cunningham to step up. We need those uh, those guys like Jalen Lane to really um, make some some big downfield plays and uh, get on top of San Diego State early if they want to get an upset here. First off, just kind of want to echo just about Ronnie Hillman. I mean, that one just – I heard about it, Joe, in the press box. There a, a Liberty writer mentioned the fact that he was in hospice care. It's like, what? You know, it's just – Stunning. I mean, I'm 30. Yeah. So that that's that just, you know, gotta echo that. I mean, right. Joe, I saw a tweet. Um, it showed Ronnie Hillman and Demarius Thomas doing a chest bump. And just like, wow, you know. Yeah. But um, nevertheless, uh onto this game. Uh, I think San Diego State's a better team, and that's gonna bear out at the end. Um, everything you've said about Middle Tennessee is a very, very good point. Now, with that being said, I think this year, and you can say that over the past few years, when you've expected the least out of Rick Stockstill's club. That's when they seemingly find a way to show up. Uh, of course, it's going to need a big ball game from Chase Cunningham. I mean, that just kind of is what it is. You know, the offense, he's the, the, the stir that makes everything, you know, the 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 straw that makes everything go. I don't know the idiom. I'm so bad with idioms. I manage to push them all the time. Nevertheless, it's going to depend a lot on Chase Cunningham. I think that defense is going to play a factor. Uh, DeCorian Patterson and the other safety um, come on, the kid who had a couple picks, Jacoby Thomas, a couple picks at FIU. Jacorian, uh, Jacoby Thomas, um, Jacorian Patterson, Teldrick Ross, Trey Fluellen, they're going to have to play, play a, a big factor, not only in the pass game, but also um, in, in run support. I mean, that's going to be a big thing. And they are, those are all players who 
tend to play really well uh, against the run, you know, for, for San Diego state, you take a look at, at their offense. I mean, it's just kind of a, a very balanced kind of, um, you know, some of all parts offense, a team that managed to find a way, a very balanced offense, but th- they find a way in, in my mind, I am taking San Diego state. Cause again, I think they're the better team, but with that being said, it would not shock me to see if Rick Soxel's club finds a way to, you know, get this ball game last, but not least for the middle Tennessee state blue Raiders got to be able to run the ball. Well, especially against San Diego State that's very balanced, cannot give them, you know, a ton of opportunities, can't have those three and outs, can't have, uh, you know, so many of those drives where their defense is having to make plays. So interested to see what, you know, Jordan Ferguson and those guys on defense can do, uh, maybe maybe create some turnovers. But in the end, uh, I think this is San Diego State's game to win. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I don't know that I think San Diego State is that much better of a team here, really. They're both seven and five. And I know the Mountain West is, I mean, I think it, it's a little bit of a deeper league than CUSA, but this is not the San Diego State of old. Like, we've certainly seen some really, really good San Diego State teams in the past, like, decade or so, but this is not like the 2016 San Diego State team. This is not the 20, 2015. This is a down year for San Diego State. So if it, I think Middle Tennessee has a really good chance to capitalize here, at least as good a chance of any, as any. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is some overwhelmingly dominant San Diego State team, but I think kind of the point you touched on at the beginning is I do think they're a bit of a, a Mountain West was a bit of a deeper league this year. And with Middle Tennessee, again, we, we've talked about a team that has been up and down. Now, of course, with the Blue Raiders, you know, they managed to win the games they needed to down the stretch, so the final three to qualify for pole contention. But they tend to be very streaky. You know, they, they had that stretch in, during the middle of the year and they lost what? Was it? three out of four after the Miami win. So that's really what concerns me more than anything else. Yeah, I can see that. Does Middle Tennessee have any Hawaiian players? I know San Diego State has a few. Not off the top of my head. Um, I, I'm trying to think how a Hawaiian player would end up at Middle Tennessee outside of the portal, um, but not off the top of my head. I just, you know, hearing stories about good hot chicken on the island. And b- listen, Polynesian barbecue is delicious, but the attempts at like southern style barbecue in hawaii that i've had are garbage so you need to go to a place like tennessee or or texas or north carolina or whatever to get the the authentic stuff and also it costs 30 dollars for some reason (laughs) let me quickly say this because i know we had this conversation Uh earlier in the year i just want to emphasize it because i think i gave you crap earlier in the year the shrimp chips were, Uh were not bad Shout out to uh, my guy Jared McDonald for bringing him back from the uh, from the island when they played over there. But um, the shrimp chips were not bad at all. There you go. I'm trying to I'm trying to get back to the islands at some point this summer. So if I can find any other goods and goodies, I'll put a little care package together. All right, let's talk about tampering. Everybody's favorite topic of conversation as we uh, get closer to the end of this episode. Um, but of course, um, let's uh, first point out that um, National Signing Day for the early signing period was this week. And uh, there's plenty to talk about there as far as how teams got players, which players are going where, et cetera. But for right now, let's uh, zero in on this tweet from UTSA head coach, Jeff trailer. Dear at NCAA football, how does at UTSA FTBL report power five schools who are trying to poach our young talent? How much evidence do we really need to make this not be a part of our game? which is a perfect Jeff trailer impression. Don't question me, but uh, obviously like trailer pointing out that there's gotta be P five teams trying to uh, get UTSA players to enter the transfer portal. But obviously it is clearly against the NCAA rules to talk to a player about transferring if they're not in the NCAA portal. And of course this started because, you know, certain players are making decisions based on where the great, NIL potential is. And sometimes that's going to be at a P5 school. Sometimes it's actually going to be at a place like UTSA where the NIL collectives there have done a great job of finding opportunities for those athletes to capitalize on those rules. But everything's got to be above board. And sometimes that's just not always the case. So before I kind of give my thoughts, Joe, if mm-hmm. you could just what's one or two things you think in my in your mind need to be done um, to kind of, you know, even out or, or kind of correct the course of where we're at right now. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people say that like, you know, state and federal governments need to be involved. And I don't even think that 
needs to go that far, right? Like what's crazy to me is if you're a coach at a program who is trying to entice a player at another program to come to your program through something like that, you have to keep in mind that all communication now is digital and can be very easily tracked, right? Like, <laughs> like you, it's, it's so easy to get caught if you were going to do something that's against the rules. So like if you, if you, uh, you know, make an attempt at tampering on the record, like you deserve to get caught, right? Like, <laughs> like that's stupid. I mean, I think one is really, it's just, I think the schools have to do their due diligence in terms of making sure that the contact between coaching staffs and the NIL collectives, like what uh, is what are popping up at all these different programs are, you know, at least limited. And, you know, I think you just have to make sure that the contact there is above board and not, and you have to make sure like, you know, about every single instance, if possible, of those two bodies contacting each other. There has to be a clear division there and you have to make sure that there's nobody with like current ties to the program still in there, right? Because that that obviously is going to play a huge role. I think that's kind of the main thing. And, you know, I think part of the new NCAA structure is inevitably going to have to be um, roles simply devoted to monitoring this kind of thing. I think that those are the two things that I would say. Like at universities, you have to have somebody at universities and at the NCAA governance level, just kind of devoting more manpower to making sure that rules are being followed there. I don't think the federal or state government needs to get involved. I think that's not really something that that needs to happen. And I, I think our governments have better things to do. But that's kind of my thought there. No disagreement on our government's having better things, since I'll tell you that much. This is the only reason why I say it's not wholly an NCA issue. When you take a look at NIL collectives, you have to remember that they're not always, and not even in general, part of the university. I mean, they, they can be run by independent entities. You know, we've seen a lot of. Well, they're you don't they have to be not run by the end? Don't they have to be independent entities? If you you can't yes, have one yes. at the university, right? Yeah, that was probably in, in, probably inartfully stated by my fault, by my part. That they 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 are not part of the universities, right? They're independent entities. So, you take a look at Mr. Ruiz, uh, John Ruiz, who is very noted in South Florida for his work with uh, the Hurricanes. He's given a couple of FIU players NIL um, deals as well, and I believe a couple of Gator players as well. Um, the thing that makes it tough is if you're not part of the university, then how do you kind of have some oversight? So that's the only out I'm giving the NCA. But in my mind, I've talked with uh, a couple, um, a couple of G5 athletic directors. You know, we have Jeff Trailer's comments. Mike McIntyre, I asked him this question at National Signing Day, or excuse me, at Early Signing Day. Joe, NIL's here to stay. When I asked him, you know, how many of his recruits was, was NIL a conversation? He said, all of them. Matter of fact, he said it was a conversation in every household. So it's not going anywhere. I think the overall sentiment from coaches is we understand that the transfer portal is a thing. We understand that NIL is, is a factor, but we can't have programs enticing our players with the prospect of NIL money that may or may not be, you know, promise to them or guarantee to them. And that's the motivating factor for them to enter the portal players who had no intention of entering the portal were happy where they were at. And then all of a sudden, you know, a, a program contacts them and says, Hey, you know, we have, may have some NIL money for you. Yeah, you know, we know you're at a school where that's not really a, a factor and then they're entering the portal. And I can understand from that perspective, these programs being upset. So in my mind, what I believe the, believe the, the main point of emphasis for the NCA needs to be is this. If you take a look at the NBA, you take a look at the NFL, you have windows that free agency begins, right? And you cannot interact with a potential free agent until that point in time. We've heard legendary stories of like Mark Cuban, you know, being outside a, a potential free agent's home at 1159. And then once midnight strikes, they're, they're at the door, right? That's the way I think you should look at it. These players are part of that university until they choose to enter the portal. So 
in the end, in my mind, the NCAA has come up with some sort of guardrail that says, hey, and you've talked about it, right? That the the interaction nowadays is it, it, it's with everything being digital, you almost be foolish not to, to 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 do it that way. But Joe, I mean, I can use the example of Jose Borregales, the athletic, Manny Navarro, I believe, wrote that story. But I know it was in the athletic, wrote a, an entire feature on how it was a simple DM, a simple like eyes emoji. It wasn't, hey, come to Miami. It was a simple eyes emoji in, in Jose Borregales' DM after he made the kicks <laughs> um, against the Hurricanes for FIU that really kind of lit the match. And then he ended up being an All-American kicker at, at Miami. So there has to be some sort of guardrails, some sort of implementation of, of some guardrails in my mind. And that's, I, in, in my opinion, I think that's the best way to do it. Say, hey, you know, the same way we, we now have, have these windows and that players can enter the portal, you got to have maybe a window that says, hey, if you are, you know, caught interacting with a player or, or some sort of, you know, backdoor channel with a player and there have to be serious repercussions. I think that's the only thing that can stop these teams from doing it, whether it's loss of scholarships or, you know, bowl um, uh, postseason uh, uh, eligibility being at risk. Because I do feel for these group of five coaches like Jeff Trailer and others who develop players, they recruit players, develop players. And all of a sudden, two years in, you know, when that player is hitting their physical peak, they're gone. I mean, Tyson Helton came on this podcast last year and said, hey, look, the amount of times that he's had, you know, for example, I think he used George Fant as an example, right? A, a guy who was a high school tight end, maybe 6'4", 240, 235, 240. Uh, they come to a G5. They they get in a, in a college weightlifting program, develop a little bit, and then they're 270, 280. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, that player might not have been ready for the P5 before, but they damn sure are now. And boom, they're gone. So, yeah, you know, kudos to Tyson Helton for being ahead of the game and saying, hey, I'm going to find a way to rebuild my roster every year. But it is something you, you got to account for. And, and I, I do feel for those group of five programs who face this. Well, I mean, Jeff Trailer said it best of like talking about how the Texas High School Athletic Association kind of regulates uh, high school players not getting those kind of deals. You know, the, the, his exact quote was if the state of Texas can regulate over 1600 high schools. Why can't we get an organization that can oversee 131 division one schools? Right. And I'm not saying there needs to be a separate organization. There certainly doesn't, but the NCAA for sure has enough resources to devote, you know, a, a certain team of people to make sure that that amount of schools, at least at the FBS level are abiding by the rules there. Agreed. I think that's that's pretty pretty straightforward and simple. You know, I, I I think we could probably say a lot of things which we were they were run as efficiently as you know Texas high school football, but it, 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 I think he hits on a great point there. Yeah, I mean, right, but <laughs> it's like uh, there are a few things more more efficient than the Texas High School Athletic Association. My goodness, do they know what they're doing? <laughs> and Chick Fil A, like um, Chick Fil A ran everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it just yeah it wasn't uh i wasn't ready for that chick-fil-a my goodness <laughs> their commercials right now are crazy to me like compare that to i went to arby's the other day and the guy audibly sighed before I, he was like <sighs> welcome to arby's what can i get for you and i was like this <laughs> dude is in hell this dude is going through some stuff and i want to help you but first, I need a beef and cheddar and a jamoka. So you're an Arby's man, huh? And then I need an hour and a half to. And then I, I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, it's not that bad. And there's one within walking distance of my house. I don't walk there because I'm fat and lazy. But <laughs> it's just it's easy enough that I can get there, get my food, and then get back to work within all within like 20 minutes. As we close this podcast up, you know, I, I don't have any issue, you know, ending it on a zany note, seeing as it's the holidays and we're going to have some fun. Uh-huh. Uh, you ever seen that skit by the uh, comedian? I'm forgetting his name right now. YouTube comedian. Which he talks about, you know, a certain demographic uh, brothers who don't eat Arby's. Okay. I what I don't think I know the exact bit you're talking about. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll have to send it to you uh, off here. It's it's a great skit. He talks about, you know, the, the gist of it for those of you not seen it is, um, <laughs> and listen, do I subscribe to the theory? Yes. Like there's just something about we got the meats that I can't really get down with as a you know, personally. But that aside, um, the skit, you know, the, there's a guy who comes to this person's house dressed as uh, a McDonald's, um, dressed as an Arby's delivery guy and says, hey, you know, I got your Arby's delivery. And the dude says, I didn't order any Arby's. 
And then he comes back dressed as a McDonald's guy and a, and a Burger King guy and a Chick-fil-A guy. And finally, she's begging him, like, yo, man, like, like, take this, man. Like, we got the meats. You, you want this? It's like, nah, man, I don't, I don't want the meats. Now, I sincerely hope that Arby's <laughs> is not, you know, some sort of sponsor of SB Nation Fox Media, in which case I apologize. And, uh, you know, Taylor will cut this out. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm not messing with Arby's. They're always, like, shocked when people show up to Arby's. They're like, hi, hello, what can we get for you? What do we do again? Roast beef? Really? Okay, sure. That's what you want? <laughs> sure. Okay. And, and listen, I'm sure it's good. Like, yeah. I, I just, you know, you'll have to do be the taste tester for me. Oh, man. Did you, which... Speaking of zany endings, did you catch the other day when, because I obviously, I know you usually listen back to these podcasts, but you didn't mention it. Did you catch when we censored you talking about Boston the other day? Oh, no, I didn't catch that. I I, I know. I, <laughs> I, I know. I wait, was it that one? I, I wanted to see if that? I wanted to see if anybody from our team would point it out, but we were talking about boston and we yeah. referenced our good friend dan morrison and you, you you basically all you said was dan's an idiot from boston and just to see if you were paying attention i bleeped an idiot from boston so all it said was dan's a oh but anyway oh damn i gotta listen to that one because i know i i went back and listened to one that i did actively cuss and for the bleep um but no right. damn I, I gotta check that okay yeah no i gotta go back on so now I just want to bleep more things that don't need to be bleeped and see what people say. <laughs> yeah, listen, it can be a, it can be a bit. It can absolutely be a bit. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll have more bits in the new year. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, happy Hanukkah to everybody out there enjoying time with the family over these uh, snowy, snowy days in the northern part of the country. And um, if you're in the uh, warmer part of the country, uh, guess what? No Christmas for you. No holidays. They're gone now. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, obviously. I don't have that kind of power. If I did, I, I wouldn't be working here still. Um, <laughs> uh, on Twitter, we're at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, at Underdog Dynasty for more uh, bowl coverage as we close out bowl season here. We still got plenty more to do on that side of things. And uh, leave a review on your podcast of choice, uh, your podcasting platform of choice, that is. Help the show grow. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Happy football watching, everybody. Mm-hmm.